Good morning, Gospel City Church. Good morning, Gospel City Church Elkhart campus. Welcome visitors, those of you who might not attend Gospel City Church, but you're tuning in with us this morning. Listen, saints, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I don't miss the gathering and the presence of God's people on Sunday mornings. I miss it dearly. I miss seeing the wives sort of tap their husbands when they think that a point in the sermon is talking about them. I miss seeing the parents in the back of the auditorium holding their little ones, singing and praising hymns and psalms and spiritual songs to God. I miss seeing, I think most of all, Saints who walk through the back doors of the auditorium and they're coming in and they're bruised and battered by the world this past week and they don't even know if they can worship God. And then the first song is sang and you see some of their strength returning. And then they get through the second song and their joy is solidified in Jesus Christ. And they hear God speaking to them through the word of God. And they leave this place set ablaze. Oh, I miss that. Miss it dearly. But God has given us something to use in the interim. And so pray that we would use it faithfully. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Beginning at verse 31. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 31. Listen, saints, you've heard from CNN this past week. You've heard from Fox News this past week. You've heard from MSNBC. You've heard from our president. You've heard from multiple world leaders. Now hear the word of God. The word that when everything else perishes, this will remain. Hear the Lord. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. On the third day, he will rise. Hallelujah. On the third day, he will rise. I haven't even started preaching yet, and I'm excited. If I was at home, I would put up the dark skin praise hand emoji at this very moment. On the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped 
commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The reading of God's holy word. And in whatever season I find myself in, saints, one of my favorite fiction reads is probably Sherlock Holmes. There's this one account in Sherlock Holmes. I love the mystery and the putting the puzzle pieces together in Sherlock Holmes. And there's one account where Watson is looking at the same evidence that Sherlock is looking at. And yet Watson can't see what Sherlock is seeing. So Watson sort of exasperated says to Sherlock, Sherlock, my eyes are just as good as your eyes. Why can't I see what you see? And Sherlock looked at Watson and he said, you see, but you do not observe. My dear Watson, seeing is more than seeing. That's sort of the thrust of the entirety of this passage in Luke chapter 18. The scripture writers are writing to us and saying to us as believers, we want you to see, but we want you to observe. So the cry of this whole passage is, Lord, would you give us sight? Give us eyes to see and eyes to observe. And Christ does that in Luke chapter 18. If you're taking notes at home, the first point of this morning's sermon is this. Seeing the purpose of Christ's suffering, it gives us hope. Seeing the purpose of Christ's suffering gives us hope. Notice the first thing that Jesus says to the disciples in Luke 18, verse 31. He took them aside and he said to them, see, behold, observe what's getting ready to take place. I love this. Christ sort of takes his disciples to the side and he's getting ready to tell them a secret. He's getting ready to whisper in their ears. And I love that because it's like my two-year-old son. He loves, Fat Nugget loves to be told a secret. You tell him a secret. You say, hey, Simeon, come here. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. And he'll run to somebody else and he'll whisper in her ear. Of course, he can't say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I can barely say that. But he thinks he's telling them a secret. This is what Christ does with the disciples. All the crowds are over there. Christ pulls his disciples aside, and he sort of whispers in their ear. He says, disciples, behold, things are going to look bad for a while. Things are going to look dark for a while. But disciples, let me tell you a secret. God is in control. Disciples, things are going to look scary, but let me tell you this secret. I will be victorious. And I love how Christ does that in the rest of this passage. He sort of helps us with our seeing. He helps us with our observing. And as he's talking to his disciples, he's talking to you and I, beloved. He's talking to you and I, friends. And Christ sort of gives us three things that would help us in our vision. 
Lord, how do we see and how do we observe? And Christ helps us. The first thing that helps us with our vision in Luke chapter 18, it's, it's the word of God. It helps our vision. Notice what Jesus says in verse 31. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Everything that is written about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament will be accomplished. I love that. Christ first tells his disciples, he sort of has a call to worship. He tells his disciples, open up your Bibles. Let me show you how everything that was written about me in the Old Testament, I am going to accomplish. I don't know if you underline or write in your Bibles, but if you do, you should underline or highlight the phrase, will be accomplished. Christ is saying, God has planned this whole thing out. And if God has planned this whole thing out, brothers and sisters, it will be accomplished. If God has spoken it, regardless of if it has taken place yet, it is a reality. When God speaks, we can take it to the bank. When God says it, it will be yes and amen. And so Christ says everything that is written about him in the Old Testament, disciples, it's it's going to be accomplished because God and sort of his wonderful planning and being successful abilities, he has that power. God can bring about, God can plan, and God can make to happen. That's what makes up a successful plan, saints. A successful plan is made up of thoughtfulness and ability. Thoughtfulness and ability, and God has that in spades. He is both omniscient and he is omnipotent. God knows all things, and yet he is all-powerful. And when you marry those two things together in the person of God, what you bring about is his perfect will. What you bring about is that everything that God says will happen. See, that's where you and I, that's where we lack. See, a lot of us, we're thoughtful, but we lack ability. Take this morning, for example. I'm sure a lot of you have thought, yes, at 10 a.m., I'm going to be ready. I'm going to come out of my sweatpants. I'm going to sit in front of the TV or in front of my laptop. I'm going to have the kids in front. The kids are going to be on their best behavior. I've thought about this, and it's going to happen. That is very thoughtful of you. But what we lack sometimes is ability. The ability to control a two-year-old when his truck is taken away from him. The ability to focus a three-year-old when they see a squirrel squirrel and their attention span is somewhere over there. We're thoughtful, but we lack ability. And some of us are on the other end of the spectrum. We have the ability, we just lack thought. We knew that Sunday morning was coming and we're supposed to be in the presence of God with the community of God's people, but yet we were so distracted on Saturday night. We let everything take away our minds away from Jesus Christ, and now we're sitting here fighting because we put everything else in place of Jesus Christ. We had the ability, 
but we lack the thoughtfulness. That's never the case with God. He is perfectly thoughtful and he has perfect power to bring about his plan. God can plan in advance and he can make sure his plan comes to be. Listen, saints, not a hair falls from our head, or in my case, all of my hairs falling from my head without God saying to that strand of hair, you can fall now. You can fall now. Not a raindrop falls from the sky without God saying to each individual raindrop, you can fall now. You can fall now. Why? Because God plans it and he has the power to bring about his plans. Let's, let's enter sort of into a mental exercise this morning. Think about this for a moment. That God can write his scriptures hundreds and some cases thousands of years ago, and yet we can open it up this morning and the scripture that was written to a different audience in a different circumstance can bring us comfort and joy together. That is the thoughtfulness of God that when he had his scripture writers write scripture, he knew that in 2020, the church in Michiana would also find comfort from it. You heard the, the families and the individuals read the passage of Scripture this morning. Oh, I, I love that. I love that. That is the glory and the thoughtfulness of God that when God took the psalmist and he wrote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul passage goes on. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. The verse ends by saying, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Saints, when God had the psalmist write that thousands of years ago, he knew that in 2020, some folks will pick up Psalm 23 and they will get comfort from it. That is the thoughtfulness and the ability of God taking place before our very eyes. Every time you pick up the word of God, you should say, man, God is so thoughtful. He's so powerful. And yet in all of that, he cares for me that this word would take root in my heart and I will get comfort from it. Christ says that as he whispers to his disciples, all of these things will be accomplished. The word of God helps our vision. Not only does the word of God help our vision, but notice in your text in Luke chapter 18, the suffering of Jesus Christ helps our vision. Notice what Christ says. All of these terrible things are getting ready to take place to him. We say, well, well, Lord, how does your suffering help our vision? Because Christ is perfect, and we know that from the entirety of Scripture, he is not suffering for himself. He is suffering for someone else. And praise be to God, the people that he is suffering for is you and I. Christ is holy. He is perfect. And yet he suffers. 
not for himself, but for us. He's spit upon, not for himself, but for us. He's mocked, not for himself, but for us. Christ is completely good. And yet, he suffers for people who are completely bad. I love what R.C. Sproul Jr. says when he's talking about when people ask him, why do bad things happen to good people? His response, he always says is, that only happened once. And he volunteered talking about Jesus Christ. He is the only good one. And the reason why that helps our vision, the reason why that helps us sort of see through the clouds and the fog is because the one who is perfectly good, the one who volunteered, volunteered not for himself, but for poor, wretched sinners like you and I. So when we cry out, Lord, I want to see and I want to observe, the first thing we have to see is that, Lord, you suffered in my place. You're my substitute. You died in my place. You were mocked in my place. Now I can stand before God in you, knowing that you took all of that on my behalf. And Lord, somehow when I look at your suffering, my vision is cleared. That helps our vision, beloved. Another thing in this text that helps our vision It's the victory that helps our vision. Notice in verse 33, after flogging him, they will kill him, comma, and on the third day he will rise. The victory helps our vision. I love this. Christ sort of pulls his disciples aside and he's telling them a secret. He's whispering in their ear. And at this point, I imagine with my spiritual imagination that Christ sort of whispers like my oldest son whispers. You ever had a person that whispered that really lacked the ability to whisper? They, they didn't understand the concept that nobody else was supposed to hear what you're whispering in their ear. That's like my oldest son. He'll, he'll whisper something. He'll say, Mom, Dad, come here. And you're like, yeah, son, what's up? And he'll be like, this is what happened. You're like, whoa, son, that's not, that's not a whisper. But I, I think in my spiritual imagination as Christ pulls his disciples aside, he says to him, they're going to flog me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to kill me. But I will get up from the grave. I love that part in the scripture. I love the punctuation mark that our translators help us with. They put a comma in there on purpose because, folks, it's not the end of the sentence. The end of the sentence is not the death of Jesus Christ. The end of the sentence is his victory. The end of the sentence is the empty tomb. I love that. They will kill him, comma, but he's going to get up from the grave. They will kill him, comma, but Jesus Christ will be victorious. Satan thought he won the day, comma, psych. Satan just used, Jesus just used Satan to bring about his eternal purposes to bring his people back to himself. I love the comma. The comma tells us. That suffering never has the final word for God's people. Glory always does. The cross, comma, 
than the crown. Can I, can I build a bridge from then to today for just a moment? This, this punctuation helps us in our day-to-day lives as well as you all have sort of been thrown into the throes of homeschooling your kids. This should be a sort of a grammatical lesson for your kids to help them understand the beauty of punctuation marks. The beauty that there's not a period after kill him, but it's a comma. The thought continues. And folks, that is the case for those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ. There are many things in our lives that we thought was the period in our lives, but God is like, nope, that's just a comma. I'm not done with you yet. Folks, understand this, that the only period that believers see is that day in glory when we stand before Jesus Christ and all our sin is no more and all our suffering is no more. Neither shall there be tears or mourning or even the sun for Jesus Christ will be it. That's the period in our lives. Everything else in the Christian life and in Christian experience is just one long, gigantic, run-on sentence full of commas and semicolons and colons and these glorious punctuation marks, God telling us he's not done with us yet. Some of you watching this live stream, you thought that cancer diagnosis was the period in your life, and God is like, nope. I'm not done with you yet. Some of you watching the live stream thought that when your husband or wife did that shameful act against you, that that was the period in your marriage. And God is like, nope, it's just a comma. I'm still powerful. Some of you thought that when your son or daughter ran off, they would never come back. And God is like, nope, it's just a comma. Folks, hear me and hear me well. Our our period doesn't come until God comes back and makes all things right. Until then, brothers and sisters, behold the beautiful punctuation marks in the lives of believers. Look to the empty tomb and know that if Jesus Christ can get up from the grave, what else can he do? Everything, as we observe the text in Luke chapter 18, everything is sort of screaming out of the page. Yes, but look to the empty tomb. This is taking place in my life. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. And Jesus is like, look to the empty tomb. This is taking place. I'm going through such suffering, and I don't know how I'm going to pass through this. And Jesus is like, look to the empty tomb. What happens when Jesus Christ got up from the grave speaks into our very hearts and lives at this very moment. If Christ can get up from the grave, what else can he do? I love the passives in the scripture in Luke chapter 18. Notice in your text that all these things were done to Jesus. He will be delivered over. They will mock him. They will shamefully treat him. They will spit upon him. They will flog him. They will kill him. All these things are done to Christ. But notice, when it's time to get up from the grave, no one else is doing this to Jesus Christ. He will rise. Behold the power of our Savior. Not even death can hold him. 
And if death can't hold him, saints, and we are in him, we don't have to fear death either. Victory helps our vision. The empty tomb helps our vision. But but notice the tragedy in the text. Notice the seeing but not observing in Luke chapter 18 and verse 34. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. The disciples are kind of like blind men reaching for something that they do not see. They're grasping, but they're never taking hold. Christ says all of this, and they didn't didn't get it. They didn't see it. And Luke, in all of his gospel, sort of gives us two reasons why the gospel or the disciples couldn't see what Jesus Christ was doing. The, The first reason they didn't understand or see what Jesus Christ was doing is because they didn't understand the complete necessity of the Messiah to suffer. The complete necessity of the Messiah to suffer. We see how badly Jesus Christ is treated. We see them spitting on him and mocking him. We say, oh, was all of that necessary? And the answer that resounds in Scripture is yes. The poor treatment of Jesus Christ was necessary because that's how bad your sin is. That's how awful your rebellion is. That's how awful you turning aside from God and following your own way is. Jesus Christ was treated this way, the perfect sufferer, because you are so perfectly imperfect. You're so rotten to the core. So we get a glimpse and we see and we observe a little bit better than what the disciples did in that it is necessary for Jesus Christ to suffer because you and I have been so far away from God. And only a perfect, righteous, suffering servant, the God-man, can bring us back. There's another reason why the disciples couldn't, couldn't quite grasp the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. Because all throughout the Gospels, they couldn't quite get how God can bring glory out of suffering. What, Jesus, you're going to die? How, how is that victory for us? You're the Messiah. You're the King. If you die, what does that mean? Well, it means that, comma, he's going to get up from the grave. The disciples couldn't observe the comma in the text. They thought Jesus Christ dying was the end of the story, and Jesus is like, no, no, no. My victory is the end of the story. They couldn't quite get how God and his perfect power can bring beauty out of ashes. Let me ask you, do do you see that? Do you observe that? You who may be in the midst of suffering right now, do you know that God is the best at bringing beauty out of ashes? That God is the best at bringing glory out of suffering? That God is the best at inserting commas in our lives and telling us that our suffering and persecution is not the end of the story, but the end of the story is the empty tomb? Praise be to God. 
that he can bring, even out of the death of his son, a glorious, resounding, harmonious victory that echoes out for all of eternity. Do we see and do we observe? Notice the contrast between the disciples who were constantly under the tutelage of Jesus Christ and this blind beggar that they interact with in Luke chapter 18. Notice the difference. The disciples saw, but they didn't observe. The contrast is this blind beggar, he couldn't see, but he observed everything about Jesus Christ. Notice the scene here in Luke 18. As we see as sort of the second point of our sermon this morning, that seeing through our suffering gives us hope. This is the blind beggar. He was able to see through his suffering, and what he saw was the person of Jesus Christ. Get the scene here. All of this noise is taking place. All of this ruckus, the crowds are surrounding. And here you have to the side of the road this poor, blind beggar. And he asked the crowds, what what is that noise? And they say, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. Did you catch what the blind beggar called Jesus? He he called him the son of David. Jesus just spent a, a few verses earlier educating his disciples on how all the Old Testament scriptures were written about him, that it will be accomplished, and the disciples couldn't get it. And yet you have this blind beggar who sees Jesus Christ through the film of his eyes, and yet he understands that Jesus Christ is the son of David. Who is that passing by? Oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth, the same Jesus Christ? that was prophesied about, who will sit on the throne of David forever? Is that him? Is that the Jesus who all of the Old Testament scriptures was writing about? The blind man, he couldn't see, but he observed. Behold, the one who is the perfect fulfillment of all of the Old Testament scriptures. Not sitting under Jesus' teaching, but yet getting who Jesus Christ truly is. See the blind beggar and notice what the crowds did to him. Blind beggars, be quiet. Jesus Christ doesn't have time for you. This is the king of kings. They rebuked him, if you notice in Luke chapter 18. Who are you to cry out to Jesus Christ? This is the son of David, you're right. And since it's the son of David, the crowds are like, blind man, please. Christ doesn't have time for you. This is Jesus of Nazareth. You're just a poor blind man begging on the side of the road. Do you think that the king of kings has time for you? Oh, if you're you're watching this. And you've asked yourself that very question. I'm just a poor sinner. Does does Jesus Christ really have time for me? I want you to observe and, and let these words echo in your hearts. Notice what happens when the blind man cries out for mercy. Hear these three words. And Jesus stopped. 
Jesus Christ is doing all sorts of things. He is healing people. He is giving sight. He is raising people from the grave. And even today, Jesus is busy doing a lot of different things. He is saving people. He is restoring marriages. He is healing generations. But hear me clearly. If you cry to Jesus for mercy, understand and hear with the full authority of the Word of God. Jesus Christ will stop. And he will hear you if you cry to him for mercy. See, as Pastor Micah preached last week about the rich young ruler and Christ giving him the command to sell all he had and give to the poor, we have to see here in Luke chapter 18 that Christ is the perfect manifestation of what he called the rich young ruler to do. What? You want me to sell all I have and give to the poor? Jesus, who would do such a thing? And Jesus is like, I would. Because Jesus Christ left his throne in glory. All power and authority is his and will be his. And he sat on his throne in glory. All the riches are his. And you know what he did? He came down. He took on flesh. And he stops for poor, blind beggars. Jesus Christ is the perfect example of what the rich young rulers should be, a rich God giving up his throne in order to give to you and I poor, shameful sinners. He who has all riches will hand over his riches to us in glory. What an amazing thing that Jesus Christ does. He is not so high and lofty that he can't stop for poor, broken people who cry out for mercy to him. If you cry, Jesus Christ, he will stop. And notice what happens in the text. Jesus stops and commands the people to bring this poor, blind beggar to him. And Jesus Christ asks the question that I think is the question of the hour. What do you want me to to do for you. He gives this poor blind man a blank check. What do you want me to do for you? And of course, the poor blind beggar says, Lord, let me recover my sight. And then Jesus says, yes, you have your sight. Your faith has made you well. And the blind man immediately gets his sight back. Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And Jesus immediately heals him of his blindness. Can I just take a a side note here for just a moment? Jesus has just told us that he is going to get up from the grave in three days. Jesus just told us that he controls not only life, but he controls death. And then we sort of come down to this blind beggar. And if you're reading this account like I did, you're sort of saying like, Jesus, you just told us you're going to get up from the grave. Healing a blind man is sort of like amateur hour. I mean, if you could control death, How easy is it for you to heal a blind person? And if you're reading the text that way, that's good on you. Because the Bible sort of wants us to read it from greater to lesser. 
if Jesus, you can get up from the grave, healing a blind man is easy for you. Jesus, if you can get up from the grave, handling this circumstance is is easy for you. Jesus, if you can get up from the grave, healing my marriage if you want it to be healed, that is easy for you. Jesus, if you can get up from the grave, protecting me from COVID-19, that's easy for you to do. Jesus, if you can get up from the grave, even if you don't protect me from COVID-19, you will usher me into your presence and I will say what the scripture writer, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If you can empty the tomb, all of this that's going on around us, how how easy is that? Because brothers and sisters, all believers are are not going to be protected, so to speak, from our current condition. But we understand that if they're not protected, if they die, they live. They understand that COVID-19 or whatever condition that will cause them to die, they really are found alive in Jesus Christ. Whatever causes them to die is simply the Uber driver that drops them off before the throne of Jesus Christ forevermore. If you can get up from the grave, why? Healing a blind man, that's, that's child's play for you, Christ. And notice in the text what, what the blind man does with his vision. Jesus Christ says, recover your faith. Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And notice what the blind man did. He gets his vision for the first time. And after Jesus Christ gives it to him, he goes off and stargazes. Oh, Christ, I, I, I have my sight. I've always heard about the sun and the moon and the stars. Thank you, Jesus. I appreciate you. I'm going to go watch the stars. That's, that's not what he does. Jesus, thank you for giving me my vision. I've heard about these glorious mountains. I've always wanted to view them. I appreciate you, Jesus. I'm going to go watch the mountains. Jesus, thank you for giving me my vision. I heard about this killer uh, thrift shop that I've always wanted to shop at and the bold and beautiful colors of these clothes. Thank you, Jesus. I appreciate you. I'm going to go window shop for a little bit. It's not what the blind man does. He recovers his sight and he immediately takes the gift that Jesus Christ has given him and he uses it to follow Jesus Christ more closely. Lord, you've given me my sight. And now that I can see, I've beheld the most beautiful person in all of creation. Lord, I wanted to see a bunch of things, but now that I see you, nothing else really matters. Jesus Christ is asking you this morning, what do you want me to do for you? And maybe your response before hearing Luke chapter 18 is, Lord, I want you to protect my finances. If that's the case, would you hear what the blind man is saying to you? If if Christ were to do that for you, what then would you do with your finances to help you follow more closely after Jesus Christ? 
Lord, all I want from you is to give me a spouse. Once I have a spouse, that's all I want. And the blind man is saying to you, if Christ grants you a spouse, how will you then use that spouse to follow more closely after Jesus Christ? What do you want me to do for you? Notice how the crowds around him responded. They saw Jesus Christ heal him, and then they saw this blind man turn and glorify God. And as a result, they couldn't help but to praise God. All of it, all of it caused the crowds to praise God. It wasn't just the healing that caused the crowds to praise God. It was what the blind man did with his sight that caused them to praise God. I wonder, I wonder if the crowds around us are not praising God because they've seen us sort of rub on Jesus Christ like a genie in a bottle and ask all sorts of things from him. And then when Christ grants it, we turn and go the other way. I wonder how many things Christ has granted us that has not caused us to follow more closely after him. Maybe that's why the crowds around us aren't praising God for what we're doing. But notice the blind man. The crowds praised because they said, blind man, you could have done anything with your sight. You could have gone anywhere with your vision, but you chose to look at and to follow Jesus Christ more closely. I need to know who that Jesus is. You saw and you observed. Saints, let me commission you this morning. Ask the Lord to give you sight. And when he does, and after you have turned your eyes upon Jesus, and you have looked full in his wonderful face, you'll notice something that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Oh, give us sight, oh Lord. Help us to see, but help us not only to see, help us to observe you, Jesus. Help us to see you full in your suffering. Help us to see your nail-scarred hands and your nail-scarred feet. Help us to see the glory of what you have done for us. Help us to see the empty tomb. And after we have beheld you, may we place our eyes on nothing else because you, O Lord, are the most beautiful, the most satisfying in all of the cosmos.